scientists, the politicians. Because how do we get more voices, different modalities, different ways of speaking and acting? Hello everyone and welcome back to the Masterpod Season 2. My name is Rachel and this week I will be speaking with Hul Schatorier. Hul is the founder of Moyu Notebooks, a Dutch company that uses rock minerals instead of trees to make notebook paper. I, for one, am really intrigued by how this works, so let's get into it. Hi, Hul, how are you? Hey, great. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great, thank you. So I'm really intrigued by your company, um, but we'll start with a few personal questions and then we'll get into the work questions after that. Yeah. Awesome. So to start with, who are you? Yeah, so I'm Roel Schattelier, uh, 30 years old. Uh, I'm the founder of Mojo. And Mojo is an Amsterdam-based company. And as you said, we make notebooks that are made out of stone. Uh, basically, what we do is for every notebook sold, we plant one tree. Due to the paper industry, a lot of forests are being cut down. So basically, what we're saying is we not only try to avoid uh, forests being cut down, but we also plant back trees. So we're actually creating nature with our uh, with our notebooks. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So how did you end up in this position? Well, I've been working with uh, for a big uh, for a big bank. Uh, what you see with the, uh, basically all large companies is that you see a lot of paper waste. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I noticed in my own work is that I, uh, whenever I had a meeting, I didn't feel I didn't feel personal to always bring my laptop. So what I always did is I brought a notebook and I wrote things down in meetings. And then after that, I went back to my computer and digitalized all my notes. Or whenever I was just working behind my computer, I always had a paper next to me to just do some calculations or write some to-dos down. Mm-hmm. So um, I was looking into alternatives, uh, like really good uh, rewritable notebooks or whatsoever. And actually, there were not really good alternatives. There were some um, whiteboard kind of notebooks. Mm-hmm. But those, uh, they didn't really fulfill my need because it didn't give me really the paper the paper and pen feeling that stone paper has. Um, so then I started looking into like new or different alternatives and I came across the uh, stone paper. And stone paper is relatively new, but uh, the Club of Rome, they uh, mentioned it as one of the 100 uh, sustainable innovations that the world needs. Wow. Because the paper industry is one of the bigger polluters worldwide, while a lot of people don't know that yet. So if you just look at the impact of the paper industry, it's almost three times as much as the whole airplane industry. And, uh, and that is because a lot of trees are being cut down, but it's also it also needs a lot of water and chemicals uh, and energy to come from trees into paper. Yeah, due to that, it has a bit, very big impact on our environment. But it's, I don't think it's so straightforward as seeing an airplane fly over your uh, mm-hmm. fly over. You see actually, you see the pollution, but you don't see that with uh, with paper actually. For sure, and I think too often people think, oh well, I'll just recycle this paper after, and then it's not my problem anymore. And I'm, you know, I'm being good to the environment by recycling it. But there's actually a lot of waste at the upstream too. Actually, and, and, and I think that's also one of the biggest misunderstandings is that if people say, yeah, if it's recyclable, pe- people think it's, therefore it does, does not have any impact. Mm-hmm. But, um, let, let's say let's say plastic example, we can recycle plastic, but only 8% of plastic is being recycled. And if you look at paper, it's recyclable, but it can only do, be done 
uh, a maximum of seven times, but if you want to use it as writing paper, often only two times. Uh, even in the recycling, it again needs a lot of water and bleach to make the paper white again. And also new pulp has to be added to make uh, writing paper again. So even in the recycling, it, it, it's, very, uh, it's very intensive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So how does the notebook work exactly? What is it? How is it made of stone? Yeah, so it's, it's made out of 80% stone and 20% uh, HDPE, which is a plastic. And basically, the, the stone is, uh, is grinded into, very small, into a white powder and it's, it's binded, bound by, uh, by the plastic. And once it's in the form of stone paper, it's, it's water resistant. So what we actually do is we, we use this stronger stone paper and we deliver it with a uh, rewritable pen. Um, and then everything you write on it, you can take a wet cloth and you can just wipe your page clean again. Yeah, so that's basically how it works. And the advantage of the stone papers then is that it's a bit harder than regular paper. So if you write in it, it doesn't really pinch. So you don't really see the marks of the things that you wrote after you uh, erased it. It doesn't really, yeah, you can't really see what you read, wrote before. Oh. And can you recycle it? Yeah, stone paper has a cradle-to-cradle certificate. So basically, you can make new stone paper out of stone paper. And that is not so intensive. You just grind it down again and make a new paper out of it. But the advantage of a regular paper industry is that, the, at least in the Netherlands, but I think in Canada as well, is that um, the whole recycling chain is, is being set up. So at our place, paper is being collected from our house. It's brought to a recycling station and new paper is made out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's, not, that's not done yet for, uh, for stone paper. So we actually have to push the supply of stone paper for also recyclers to become more interesting to also set up the facilities to also make it available to recycle it locally. We saw this as a big disadvantage in the beginning, but then we said, if no one's going to invest in pushing the supply, then this will never be set up. So this industry will never exist. So what we did is we have a promise to our clients that if you, if you are done using our notebooks, then we just want it back and we collect it. Uh, until there's enough supply of uh, waste stone paper that can be recycled again. Oh, okay. And actually, uh, the cool thing I think about stone paper is that it really, you can actually really reuse the paper over 500 times, which is, I don't know, if you, if you, if you look with a notebook, it's probably like 100 years or something. But then again, people probably want, to, want a new notebook after one or two years because maybe the, the cover is damaged or whatsoever. So... Probably people will be buying a new notebook before actually the stone paper is is done using. So what we say now, just give it back to us. We will find, for now, we'll give it a second life, which could be uh, donating it to a school that can use it for a while. And once they are done using it, we take it back from the school Mm -hmm. uh, so that the paper can still be used. Awesome. That's great. And where are the notebooks actually made? Are they made in the Netherlands? So the stone paper is only this, this one place in the world that's making stone paper, and that's in Taiwan. Uh, and it's being imported in Europe by uh, one of our partners. And then we make the notebooks in, in Amsterdam and the Netherlands. And yes, the same uh, with the recycling part. There's also people that are interested in setting up a facility for stone paper production in Europe. But then again, uh, there needs to be more, uh, more demand for stone paper. Mm-hmm. And actually, as you can see now, it's... Uh, the demand is really rising. So now we already see with, with the production facility that's now there that we really have to 
tell them like we need these amounts of stone paper in this period so that they actually plan the type of stone paper that we need which probably means that their uh, production capacity is getting fuller and fuller so I think it's getting more and more interesting for also European parties to invest in, uh, in this facility for sure yeah and I mean the more the better <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and it's not only, it's not only um, what you see is you can use stone paper in the, in, in, with multiple purposes. So we make rewritable notebooks out of it, but it's also uh, it's also being used uh, a lot in outdoor. So to make uh, maps, because it also if it rains it doesn't get wet. Ah. Uh, so a lot of uh, uh, companies that make cards for for hiking or biking or whatsoever already also using this paper to to print their maps on. Yeah, that's great. And that's better than having, you know, a plastic sheet. Actually, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So thank you for sharing a bit about your company. Um, It's really interesting and I love what you guys are doing. Uh, So when you were younger, did you see yourself in this position as, you know, the founder of a small, sustainable startup? Um, Yeah, it's actually fun because uh, I did my master's in sustainable entrepreneurship and I always said uh, one day I will start a sustainable business, uh, but I didn't know yet where in. So, um, so first I worked a few years within the, for a bank, and then I met a lot of entrepreneurs, and then I didn't really know what to do, so I moved to Kenya for a year. Oh, cool. And then I came back and I basically said to myself, okay, I think the world really, really needs uh, a change in mindset, a more sustainable entrepreneurs, and I think we're all not doing enough because you can literally see the world on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically I said to myself, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to invest the time that I'm going to spend working. I'm going to spend it doing something good. And then basically that sort of crossed my path with getting to know stone paper and the whole rewritable concept. And, uh, yeah, then I, and then I just committed to that. I quit my job. I said, let's go for, uh, for this adventure. Mm-hmm. That's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your definition of sustainability then based on, you know, your studies and what you've experienced in the real world? Yeah. Uh, sustainability has more to do with uh, becoming aware that we're all connected with the world around us, I think, uh, with our nature, with other people. And I think for sustainability, it means that you, your ex or the things that you're doing, you take into account what, what for effect it has on other people or the world around you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's how I would translate it. So, so our company is set up not only, let's say, to benefit ourselves as entrepreneurs or employees, but it's, it's, it's set up to benefit the world. Awesome. And I can imagine with that kind of perspective then that you probably incorporate sustainable practices into your life on the daily. Do you have any top sustainable practices that you uh, you would recommend to others? Um, yeah, well, so I was doing in, in my personal life, I was like uh, separate my plastic waste, trying to eat less meat, uh, not having a car, these kind of things, which for me was a bit straightforward. For me, it felt a bit like there's so much things that we have to do, every one of us, that, that the world needs, actually. And then just by doing these small acts, for me, it felt a bit like I'm not doing enough. It didn't really 
fulfill my need of uh, yeah of, of, of doing my part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then if you maybe going back to your question, the thing is, uh, I think the main problem is is that we're consuming too much and we're consuming too much of of goods that are not good. So what I do, let's say, yeah, just just try to consume less and therein I mean just buying less stuff mm-hmm. it also wears down to uh, to the things that you eat mm-hmm. uh, so do you have a favorite resource that you turn to for informing yourself about sustainability yeah I always mention this but for me the but it's more a source of inspiration but for me it's the, it's the books of Charles Eisenstein uh-huh. uh, the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible I think I think you can come to a point that that you so, sort of have to start feeling the fact that we really need to do something, and not because of uh, scientific reports wherein you see like okay, this this is happening, that's why we should do this this, mm-hmm. but just for the fact that you come to the point that that we're all connected and that we're all one, and that should be the reason that we should all uh, yeah, do our part to take care of the world and each other. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a beautiful perspective. And I think yeah. in our this day and age, we kind of lose that connection to the world around us, especially just being so disconnected from it. Like if living yeah. in our urban centers and that kind of thing. Actually, yeah. And then, so it's, for me, it's a lot of uh, more this internal flame kind of thing, like which, which makes my vision, I think, for me, always very clear. Like, does this really make sense, the things that we do? Like, does it make sense? For that, I can find a lot of answers in the decisions I make. Absolutely. Yeah, great way of looking at it. I think everyone should... There should be a class in school where you're taught to think like that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I think that would help a lot. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, the the writer always talks about the world of separation, that our financial system and our political system, all these things are... That our world is sort of set up to create us as a... And just to make us individu- individuals that mm-hmm. live in a world of separated things while we actually live in a world of everything being connected with, with each other. So, Wow, sounds like a great book. I will yeah. definitely read it. It's on read my list now. Yeah. So what do you think, this is a big question, what do you think needs to be done to solve the climate crisis? Um, well, I think actually <laughs> what we were just uh, talking about, I think everyone has to come to the, has to start to uh, understand that what we do to each other or what we do to the world, or what we do to ourselves sort of has an effect on everything. And in the end, you're doing it to yourself. So if you cut down a tree, in the end, you kill part of yourself. Hmm. If that makes sense to you, so uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, like it, it comes back to you in some way. Yeah. yeah, maybe not direct, but indirect. In the end, it always, yeah. So if you don't take care of the nature, you don't take care of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. All right, well, so it's more of like a perspective shift then. That that would be really yeah. important to solve the climate crisis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So we'll, we'll move on to some questions about your work. So as the founder of Muju, uh, what are your day-to-day tasks? Um, so luckily, uh, one year ago, it was just me and my, uh, my partner. And now we have a bit of a bigger team. So uh, we're with 10 people now. Uh, what I noticed is that um, 
let's say the marketing branding part is not maybe is not the thing that I'm really good at. So we have a, a big part of the team is doing that. So for me, um, my main focus is the product and the product development. Um, I think the whole um, sustainability and sort of getting the word out and talk about it and talk about why it's important. Uh, and since I have a background in finance, uh, everything uh, finance related. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fourth pillar is uh, B2B sales, but uh, I, I would call it partnerships. So working together with large companies to to co-create notebooks that perfectly fit their need. Mm-hmm. What companies do you work with or do you partner with currently? So we partner with the Worldwide Fund, WWF. Oh, awesome. Uh, Rabobank. Mm-hmm. And this, we, we helped about 50 companies in the last year. Some smaller, some bigger, some used as a, as a promotional gift to the employees and some used for the internal paper, uh, uh, paper reduction. But I think the, the, the biggest impact can be made at large companies. So, so I know, let's say, for, for companies that, are, that have a big office, let's say banks or pension funds or whatsoever, still 70% of their, of their waste is, is, is made up of paper waste. So I think if we can take a share in that, and uh, I'm not saying that we should ban regular paper, but I think we should switch all notes that are not being uh, uh, read, let's say, one month after you wrote them down. They should all be switched to, let's say, rewritable stone paper. And I think that by that you can cut down your uh, your notebooks or, or your writing paper by 90% probably. Yeah, probably. I know I'm always victim of, yeah, writing my little to-do lists or, you know, just writing notes when you're in a meeting and then you never look at them again. <laughs> yeah. So what we did is our notebook, the first three pages are to-do lists. And then the two, two the four pages after that is like a week planner. Uh, and a lot of people, especially the notebook, uh, the to-do lists are... Uh, uh, some people love love it, especially because you're making that every day, uh, and it's just a great feeling that at the end of the day you can just take a wet cloth and just erase your whole to do list because you're done for that day. Yeah, that would feel probably even more gratifying than checking the little boxes, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So during the day you check them, and the end of the day you you just swipe the page empty, you're done. It's like clean sheet next day. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, what do you like about your job? I'm sure there's lots of good things about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for me, I really, I really, really, really like the uh, the creative part, as in coming up with new products, uh, getting feedback from clients, thinking about new things, working together with companies to see where we can fit in as a product. It's just basically every day you're just thinking like how and when are people using paper and how can we change that behavior? Um, I, I really, I really love to think about that. Mm-hmm. So what, what, for instance, what I, I think what a really cool example is that uh, obviously uh, Corona COVID hit us in March. Before that, we we're doing a lot of uh, business to business. Um, so we were in touch with a lot of companies and basically what happened is all the companies contacted us like, hey, uh, no one's going to the office. So uh, for the coming period, we, we have no interest in buying notebooks, which is fine. Obviously not fine, but... And then then we thought, okay, but everyone is working at home. So what can we do for people working at home? So we came up with a, 
Uh, that same day, basically, we came up with, an, uh, with a placemat uh, that you can put in, like A3 format that you can put on your desk. And one side has a to-do list and a, uh, and a space for making notes. And then because you're working from home, it can also be like work and private life is getting getting mixed up. So we said like, okay, so you can also turn the placemat around. And on the other side, you have games that you can play. Um, and that idea, so we had that idea. And then the next day, we we asked our clients on Instagram, like, hey, is this something that you would like? And then we got a lot of positive feedback. And then two days later, we started production. A week later, it was a new product in our shop. That's something that's really cool. And it gives you a lot of energy. For sure. I want to buy one of those now. <laughs> that sounds really uh, helpful. <laughs> We're not available yet in the Canada, US. Oh, too bad. <laughs> now, uh we're planning expansions for this year in Europe and then maybe the year after uh, towards North America. Awesome. Uh, so on the contrary, what is the main challenge that you face as a sustainability professional? I think especially in the beginning, thousands of people will tell you, what a bullshit idea. Why would I, why would I erase my notes? Uh, you can recycle paper, right? Like these kind of things. So... You constantly um, have to motivate yourself. Yeah, I think one motivational factor is just people, uh, let's say sales or people actually buying your product and telling you like, hey, I really like your product. Uh, but if you start, let's say in the first year, that's not happening a lot. So you basically have to find your own motivation all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you're, and you're working very hard with, with yeah, sometimes very little results. Uh, yeah, that was in the beginning a big challenge. And then for me, one of the bigger challenges was that our team grew really fast. So within a year, we went from two to, uh, let's say, 10, but sometimes with interns, it's 12, 13, 14 people. So there's also this, it comes with a kind of pressure that uh, every month money has to come in and people have to get paid. And uh, it's liabilities to level. There's bigger liabilities to, uh, to let's say, your team and... Uh, yeah, so that, that comes with uh, pressure. But uh, for me, it was the beginning part I found harder than uh, than I find it now. Yeah, that's good. I can imagine at the beginning, you have to make a name for yourself. You have to kind of break the trail. And I can imagine that you'd f- face some resistance with that. Yeah, and, uh, and you will notice that if you push through it, then at one point, uh, the people that they don't want to work with you now come back to you and everyone wants to work with you. <laughs> So it's important to uh, to just push through. I think if it's if, if you really believe in the idea, I mean, that makes no sense to just push through a, a, a random idea. Yeah, of course, you have to believe in it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So because you started this new product, I'm sure that you probably had some people asking about greenwashing, or you, I'm sure you've heard about greenwashing. Is this something that you've encountered with uh, with Moju? Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think uh, it's a very it's a very fair point. Uh, not so much towards us, but uh, the, the the biggest problem is at the moment is is sustainability is just a it's just a marketing thing. Companies are saying like, hey, uh, maybe it's also important for us to do something with, with sustainability. So what you see is that um, a lot of companies are in some way investing in sustainability, but not really. But maybe maybe it's not really their core thing, or they don't really care about it. But 
you know, it uh, sounds good if we can tell the world that we planted a million trees. Mm-hmm. What, what we try to do, we're still doing that, is, is just being very open and transparent about uh, our impact, and uh, but also being open about uh, the challenges that we have. So let's say the, the whole recycling part that we mentioned in the beginning of this uh, podcast is that um, we don't have the solution yet. We know the solution is there, but not in Europe yet. So basically we just wrote a blog about it and shared it like, hey, this is our issue. If there's anyone willing to help, please let us know. You know, we want to fix this, but for us within, let's say, this, the small amount of people that we currently are, uh, we, we don't have the solution yet. So uh, I think, yeah, just being open and transparent and, and also share the things that you're not doing right yet, that helps to sort of uh, don't get being labeled as greenwasher. But uh, for some reason, I, I also, um, so we do advertisement and these kind of things and people react to 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 our, to our advertisements. And for, for some reason, the first reaction people have is always this, this, ah, can be true. Ah, this must be some kind of uh, marketing thing. Ah, you know, like I think it's to some extent it's also it's, it's also fair that people are doing it because there is a lot of greenwashing. So I think it's it's good that people are. Uh, yeah, being critical, maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, it is good that people are critical, but uh, when you're trying to promote a project or a product that is actually sustainable i could imagine that it'd be a little challenging what is your opinion about greenwashing i i was just thinking about it now because currently i find that sustainability is kind of a trending topic you know especially on social media and so i also receive so many ads and promotions on my social media saying oh try this sustainable project product and then i look into it and it's not sustainable at all so I think we're kind of saturated with these unsustainable, sustainably labeled products that sometimes it's hard to differentiate. And we don't necessarily always have the time or the energy to do the research that we should, you know? Yeah. I do I do think it's an issue. And if you're not looking at the, the product side, I think greenwashing on a bigger scale is at the government scale, for example, is a much more serious issue too. Yeah, it's true. Also, we, we just had elections and basically every, almost every party in, in the Netherlands uh, had something about sustainability in their, in their program. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a bit, for me, it felt also a bit like greenwashing because I think a lot, of, a lot of these parties said like, hey, wait, this is an important topic for us. Let's also write something about this maybe. Uh, while 12 years ago, maybe one or two parties really made a point about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it works in two ways. Yeah. 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 It works in two ways for sure. It brings awareness to sustainability, but it also tarnishes it a bit sometimes if people say the buzzwords, but they don't follow through or they don't actually understand the, the meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, do you have any upcoming projects that you're excited about other than, you know, the placemat? Ah, uh, yeah. So, um, we are releasing a A4 notebook, so a bigger notebook. And last year, we in the Netherlands, there's this guy which is called Dennis Storm. He, uh, he was a Dutch TV presenter, and then he he's always been interested in, uh, in in minimalism. So at one point, he started to write books about around the topic. Um, and last year, we did a, a co-creation with him. So we made this this workbook around the theme of minimalism. 
which means through a whole year in 12 months times, every month you get a assignment, which is, which has some part of minimalism in it. So the first month is about getting rid of stuff. And uh, the second month is about where do I uh, spend my money on? Um, on one hand, I think our impact is into the stone paper and the, uh, and the planting of trees. But on the other hand, I think if we can change people's behavior, uh, there's also a big impact that we can make. So we try to do this around the topic of uh, overconsumption, about this book about minimalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're currently working on uh, uh, something similar. And that's it's going to be a book it's going to be about getting into touch with nature again because it's this, uh, this theory that says that the more you are in nature or in touch with nature, the more you care about nature. So this book has uh, all, these, all these assignments just to get you in touch with nature, hopefully to inspire you to, to in the end, care more about nature. For sure. It's, honestly, it sounds like a really good gift idea too. Actually, the book that we made about the theme minimalism, we also made it in a, in a way that you can do the assignments for 12 months and then you can erase it again and give it to someone that you think could do these assignments the next year. So basically that the, the books is being given to one to, to the next person, the next person, the next person. That's great. That's awesome. So how do you see your professional self developing in the future? It was you well, what you notice as a let's say entrepreneur is that you become more of a of a manager. And I'm not sure if I really like to be the manager. I just love to be the the city guy that comes up with ideas and uh, and act on the ideas. So I'm, I'm sort of trying to make sure that I can still have this position within the company. Mm-hmm. When I started, I always thought that if you're the founder, that you're always also the CEO. But I think it makes a lot of sense that the CEO is a completely different person than the, than the founder, different skill set, mindset. So last question is, do you have any tips for someone who is starting out a job in sustainability? Um, for me, I think seven, eight years ago when I started, I got super passionate about starting, um, starting this whole journey about sustainable entrepreneurship. And this kind of fear maybe hold me back because there's a lot of there's so many uh, news and things that you hear and maybe your social environment that earning money is important and maybe make sure to have a good career and your CV to be up to date and that's maybe why for me sometimes feel that I took the wrong path by uh, working in a bank for a few years um, so I would say like my advice would be just uh, try to overcome that fear ASAP and act on, uh, on your sustainable ambitions because I think that's the thing that we need most at this moment mm-hmm. uh, and, and the world needs most and it can give you a great fulfillment so uh, even in that I think in the, in the end earning a lot of money doesn't give you any fulfillment although you think maybe in the start of your career that it will but it doesn't give you any fulfillment that doing something good will actually give you ten, a tenfold more fulfillment than, uh, than that. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a great tip. Like, don't postpone your passion. Just do it, yeah. We don't need it in 10 years, probably. We, need, we, we, we needed it 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. 
so may as well go for yeah, it yeah that's awesome well those are all the questions that i have for you today Hul. thank you so much for sharing your time with us yeah thanks for having me it's great talk to you podcast was produced by Laura Messner, Rachel Grudin, and Olivier Rousson. This episode was hosted and edited by Rachel Grudin. Big thanks to today's guest, Wul Chatoria, for telling us about his company, Moju. A big final thanks to Jacob Rosane for providing us with the funky music. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at The Masterpods. We post new episodes every Wednesday. If you want to talk about your sustainable profession or know someone who you think should speak to theirs, shoot us an email at info at masterpods.eu. Talk to you next week, everyone.